Tonight we are going to be looking at what are the prophetic implications of Russia invading Ukraine from five different perspectives. The implications or potential implications for Russia, for Israel, for America, for the world, and then for us as the church. Sound good? As Tyler would say, are you with me? (laughs) All right. Now, before we dig into this, first of all, I want to pray. Jesus, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word to study and that your word is filled like at least one-fourth of it is Bible prophecy. So, Lord, we know that you want us to study these things. So I pray tonight that by your Holy Spirit would minister to us. God, I pray that you would just give clarity, that you would overlook my inadequacies as a teacher, and tonight that you would speak to your people here and all of those who are watching online right now and those who will be watching later. So we commit this evening to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we dive into Ezekiel 38, I want to just kind of set a little bit of some framework. And I want to begin with this, that the purpose of studying Bible prophecy is not to freak us out, okay? It's not to get us to a place where we're like going, oh no, things are going crazy. I'm going to go hide out in the desert, Or I'm going to move to some remote place in Idaho. It's not the purpose. Nor is it to create within us, listen to me, church, an escapist mentality. Where we say, yay, Jesus is coming back. Get us out of here, Lord. This world is a mess. That's not the purpose. The study of Bible prophecy, if done correctly should invoke or evoke within us an activism, a missional mindset, because we understand that the time is short and God has given us a place and a purpose here on planet Earth as his ambassadors to take the gospel to lost people and to impact our culture. When Bible prophecy is taught in the right way, that should be the effect that it has upon us. In fact, we read that the early church tells us in the book of Acts that they turned their world upside down. They had a radical impact upon their world. And part of the reason I believe that their impact was so huge was because they believed in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. The word imminent means soon. That they believed that Jesus could come back at any moment, and that belief motivated them to share the gospel and impact their culture. And they were used by God in a way, in a powerful way, probably so powerful that it was unlike anything the world has ever seen before. So the purpose of Bible prophecy and these prophecy updates and our upcoming prophecy conference is twofold. To make us aware of the signs and the times, 
that we are living in, and to stir us up to be active for the cause of Christ and the kingdom of God in this world. Can I get an amen to that? Are you with me on that? Now, I want to say a few things by way of disclaimer before we jump into our study tonight. The first is that I think we have to be careful when we're looking at world events not to sensationalize world events. You see, we don't use world events to interpret the Bible. We use the Bible to interpret world events. But some people can go overboard with this, where everything seems to be a sign. For instance, I'll give you an example. You've probably seen this before. There's a major earthquake that happens somewhere in the world, and people are going, that's it, sign of the times, you know, Jesus is coming back. There have always been earthquakes, and big earthquakes, and there is really no proof that, there, that earthquakes are increasing in their magnitude. Another thing is we hear of wars and rumors of war. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, you will hear of ru- wars and rumors of wars. But there's always been wars happening here on planet Earth. Is war escalating? That's a debatable subject. Now, some Christians can take events and over-inflate their significance to the point where nothing seems significant anymore. And we become like, I've used this analogy before, like the little boy who was crying wolf. Hey, the wolf is coming, the wolf is coming. Finally, there wasn't any wolf coming. And finally, people got so uh, you know, tired of hearing him say that, that when the wolf finally did show up, they weren't ready. And this is one of the reasons why for a few years, I kind of stopped doing prophecy updates. And the reason was, I didn't seem to see anything really new, significant happening in the world. It was almost like every prophecy update that I was doing was the same as the last one. So I stopped for a little while to just consider, God, what are you doing? What are you doing right now in our world? But I'll say this. In the last few years, things have been changing at such a rapid pace that it is, it's crazy. And there, is so, there are so many significant things to talk about as we view the events of the world through the lens of the Bible. Now, the second thing I want to mention is when we're looking at world events, there are certain nations that should always catch our attention. Because there are nations that are mentioned in the end time scenario that the Bible talks about. That they're going to be around and they're going to be significant nations in the end times. So for instance, if something kind of radical happens in New Zealand or Australia, I'm not paying a whole lot of attention to that. I love those places. They're amazing, but they're not mentioned in the Bible in the end time scenario. So they're not significant. I'm not saying that they're not significant people, but they're not significant prophetically. But when nations like Russia and Iran and Israel, when they pop up, our antennas should pop up. Our radar should go up because those, those nations are major players in the end times scenario. We need to pay attention to those nations. We need to pay attention 
to what the EU, the European Union, is saying because the Bible tells us that the kingdom of the Antichrist is going to be connected to a confederation of nations that will come out of Europe out of what many people believe the European Union. So we pay attention to that. So currently we're watching Russia, a major player who's invading Ukraine, and Russia is significant. So we're paying attention to that. Now i got to say this, though. What's happening over in Ukraine right now is horrible. War is always horrible. It is heartbreaking to see what's happening. I have friends right now who are on the ground, some of them Ukrainian pastors that we're getting just daily reports from, and it is sad what is happening in that country, the people who have lost their lives, the people who have been displaced. War is always horrible. But because Russia is involved, we need to pay close attention. And what Russia is doing right now has some interesting potential. Everybody say potential. Okay, This is the key word tonight. What Russia is doing right now has some interesting potential prophetic implications. And that word potential is our key word because I'm not saying that what's happening right now is leading us to X, Y, and Z. But what I am saying is it has the potential to be leading us to X, Y, and Z. And this is why we need to pay attention to it. And I'll explain what I mean by X, Y, and Z in just a few minutes. Here's my last disclaimer. If I say anything tonight that's funny or silly or sort of tongue-in-cheek, I am in no way trying to make light of what the horrific things that are happening over in the Ukraine right now. I'm simply trying to bring a little bit of brevity to a serious situation, to bring a little emotional relief, perhaps. So tonight, we're going to talk about What are the potential prophetic implications of Russia's invasion of Ukraine? And there are many. I'm going to give you five. What does it mean for Russia, for Israel, for the world, for America, and finally for the church? So if you're taking notes for Russia, Russia is a major player in the end time scenario because of what we read here in Ezekiel chapter 38. I'd like you to turn there if you're not there already, because Ezekiel chapter 38 describes a coalition of nations that will come against Israel in the last days. But before we look at Ezekiel chapter 38, we need to understand that Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37 set the stage for Ezekiel chapter 38. Because Ezekiel chapters 36 and 37 talk about a time when the nation of Israel will be reestablished in their land. And Ezekiel prophesies in those chapters several things that are going to happen in Israel that are going to be leading up to this time. And all of these are things that have happened in for, for most of us in our lifetime. Except for maybe the first one. So I want to give you five things that have been fulfilled about Israel in modern history. Number one, it starts with the rebirth of the nation of Israel, and that happened in 1948. 
1948, we saw the nation of Israel reborn, and that was something that has never, ever happened before in really the history of the world, excuse me, where a nation that had ceased to exist for roughly 2,000 years suddenly and miraculously comes back to life. Ezekiel the prophet prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37 that that would be the case in the last days. The second thing, the return of the Jewish people to the Holy Land after centuries of exile. Again, we see this in Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37, that Israel's population has grown. And in 2020. Two, Israel's population sits at 9.5 million people. And listen to this, almost 75% of those people are of Jewish descent. So in recent Jewish, recent history, Jewish people have been returning in record numbers to live in Israel. Number three, we have the rebuilding of ancient ruins in Israel. And there's been a lot of that going on. If you go on an Israeli tour with us, you'll see many of these ruins that have been rebuilt. Number four, the blossoming of a desolate and desert wasteland. Israel, that's what it was. For 2,000 or so years, it was a desolate wasteland, but not, in, not anymore. In many ways, Israel has become an oasis. It is a leading producer today of agriculture in the world. Israel has become really one of the, it's the eighth most powerful country in the world. And that's crazy when you think about it's only the size of New Jersey. I mean, it is this small little place, but God's blessing and hand of blessing has been upon it. Israel is a world leader in agriculture, in technology, in medicine, in water management, just to name a few. And number five, the creation of an exceedingly great army. Israel has one of the most powerful armies in the world today, one of the most sophisticated armies in the world today. And so these are all things that Ezekiel prophesied about 2,500 years ago that would happen and take place in Israel in the last days. Now here's the thing. Since we have seen all of those things taking place in our lifetime, except for for most of us, Maybe a couple of us were around in 1948. I don't know. Um, I wasn't. But uh, the rest of those things we've seen take place and we've seen happen. Israel becoming this incredible nation and God's hand of blessing being upon it. So if we've seen all of those things happen, what Ezekiel prophesied in Ezekiel 36 and 37 in our lifetime, why wouldn't it be possible that we might see what happens in Ezekiel chapter 38 in our lifetime as well. So, let's consider Ezekiel chapter 38. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog and the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tobol, 
and prophesy against him. And say, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. And I will turn you around and put hooks into your jaws and lead you out with all of your army and horses and horsemen and all splendidly clothed, a great company of bucklers and shields and all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them. And all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all its troops and the house of Tagarma, From the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. Now this is an amazing prophecy. Ezekiel prophesies approximately 2,500 years ago events that would occur in Russia's future. And he begins in Ezekiel chapter 38 with this long list of nations that are going to attack Israel. Now, none of these nations are named Russia, and there isn't any place in the Bible where Russia is named. But if you circle that name Rosh, that equals and is speaking of Russia. And this can be determined both linguistically and geographically. In fact, if you notice in verse 15, it speaks of this nation coming from the far north. And if you are in Jerusalem, and if you are looking to the north, you can go as far north as you want to go. And guess what you're going to hit? You are going to hit Russia. So Ezekiel chapter 38 describes this alliance of nations coming against Israel that is led by, it tells us, Gog. Gog is the leader of this alliance. Now, Daniel chapter 11 uses this, use the term the king of the north. That's how he refers to the leader of this alliance. This is how he describes this commander of this alliance. But notice, Rosh is led by Gog, who is described as the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Russia, Meshach, and Tubal. So you need to understand that Gog is speaking of a person, of a leader. Is Putin Gog? I don't know. He might be, but he might not be. We don't know. But a leader from Russia is going to be this individual that Ezekiel identifies as Gog, the leader of Russia, Meshach and Tubal. What's interesting when you think about Putin, and there are people trying to take him out right now. So the question is, who would take his place? Some of the guys in his inner circle, they're worse than he is. I mean, Putin goes back to the KGB days. That's his mindset. But some of these guys that are in his inner circle, they're even more hardcore than than he is. So it's interesting. If he isn't, who might be? Now, many people have been wondering if Putin has gone mad. I don't know, maybe you studied this or have been paying attention to this, but he was really afraid during COVID. I mean, so much so that he would isolate himself. He would have meetings with people. I saw a picture yesterday. I, I should have 
brought it to put up on the screen where he was sitting at a table by himself and all his guys on his inner circle, they they were like 20 feet away. They were like to the back door of the auditorium here, away from him. Because he was so afraid. And some people think that through the, all of this, he's kind of gone a little bit mad. That he's not in his right mind. Others think he's a calculated tyrant and warmonger. But as it relates to what we're talking about tonight, Rosh is led by this leader Gog, who's described as its prince. Meshach could be... Moscow, and Tobolsk, which is another major city in Russia. Now, here's the second question. Who's going to join this alliance? Well, notice that Ezekiel mentions Magog, and this was the name of one of Noah's grandsons. You can read about this in Genesis chapter 10 and First Chronicles chapter 1. And many, many scholars believe that his descendants settled around the black and the Caspian Sea on Russia's northern border. Today, Magog makes up what we would call the Stan countries. Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Ubikstan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, and perhaps even Afghanistan. These are all former constituents of the Soviet Union. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. What unifies 60 million people living in that region of the world today? Islam. The people in that nation are all very, very Islamic in their belief. Now, the reason why that is interesting is because the other nations mentioned here in Ezekiel chapter 38, Persia... Persia is modern-day Iran. Ethiopia, that's not the Ethiopia that we think of today. The Ethiopia represented here is Sudan. Libya is still Libya that we know of today. And then you have Gomer, and this is the one that's probably the most debated. Some have said they think it's Germany. Some more recent Bible scholars believe it's Crimea, which Russia has taken over recently. In the last few years. And others believe that it's a, another part of modern Turkey. And then you have Togarma, which is Turkey. Now, what is the significance of all of those nations? Well, like all the stand countries that I mentioned before, they are all heavily Muslim in their belief as well. So notice here verse 4. God says, I will turn you around. Speaking to Gog, to Rosh. This alliance of nations. I will turn you around and put hooks into your jaws and lead you out with all of your army and your horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. God says that he is going to draw this alliance of nations into an invasion of Israel. Now, why would God do that? Because he's going to intervene. This is how the story ends. If you read the end of 38 and all of 39, it ends with God intervening on Israel's behalf and destroying these nations. But here's the question. What might be the hook in Russia's jaw? What would be Russia's motivation for wanting, for wanting to invade Israel? I think it's twofold. 
resources, and power. Did you see this headline recently? It was this week. Can Israel become Europe's natural gas supplier? Israel has huge oil and natural gas reserves. They supply much of the oil and gas to the Middle Eastern nations. Russia is the nation right now that is currently supplying much of the oil and natural gas to most of Europe. Okay, so here you have Russia, a major player on the on the uh, you know resource oil and gas side in Europe. Israel, big leader in the Middle East. So here's the question: Imagine if Russia could get possession of the gas and the oil reserves that belong to Israel they would have the potential to control most of that part of the world. All of the Middle East and most of Europe. That would make them an incredibly rich and powerful nation. So that is Russia's potential motivation for wanting to invade Israel. What's the motivation of these other nations, like Iran? It's because of their Muslim faith that they hate Israel. In fact, Iran, if you've been following the news at all in recent years, some of their leaders have said, we want to blow Israel off the face of the earth. In fact, they have gone on to say that they don't even, ex- they don't even acknowledge Israel's existence as a nation. If you look at maps from that part of the world, Israel is not even on them. I'm not kidding you. Israel's not even mentioned because that's what they think of Israel. So here's the question. After all of that, what does Ezekiel chapter 38 have to do with Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Well, nothing directly, but a lot indirectly. And I want to give you tonight two potential scenarios for Russia. If Russia is successful in this invasion of Ukraine, they will become stronger both militarily and economically. And it will only increase Russia's position in the world as a superpower. Russia is after world dominance. What is the goal of Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Well, according to a Russian expert, Paul B. Stefan, a University of Virginia School of Law professor, he said this, Putin wants to restore the former glory of the Soviet Union. Number two, he wants to create a discord within Europe, and particularly between Europe and the United States. And number three, his third objective is to embarrass the United States and make it seem ineffectual. This was a recent headline. Putin wants dominant, to dominate Europe. That's what his aim is. That's what he's going for. That's the big picture in his mindset. Germany's Chancellor Olaf Scholz declared last week, this goes way beyond NATO. Russia's leader wants to take over Europe according to his worldview. 
the foreign minister of Lithuania echoed that same sentiment when he warned this week, the battle for Ukraine is a battle for Europe. If Putin is not stopped there, he will go further. And this is what is on the minds of leaders there in Europe is that they think that Putin, his end game is he wants to take over much of Europe or at the very least restore what used to be the former Soviet Union. If he is successful in doing that, Russia becomes perhaps the most powerful force in the world today. Putin is making strides in that direction. Did you see this headline? Russia's forces seize Europe's largest nuclear power station. That's significant, guys. That's heavy. This was the headline. Russian troops are aiming to mine the nuke plant in order to blackmail the whole of Europe. It's a ploy to get control, in other words. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson said that the reckless attack could directly threaten the safety of all of Europe. They're worried. Ukrainian President Zelensky, meanwhile, said the attack, and they're talking about the attack on this nuclear plant, could have caused destruction equal to six Chernobyls, which was the site of the world's worst nuclear disaster there in 1986. He said, if there is an explosion, it's the end of everything. It is the end of Europe. It's scary. It's concerning. So what does this invasion mean for Russia? If Russia is successful in taking over Ukraine, Russia becomes more and more powerful. And the question is, where does it stop? And one of the things that they're going after is control of more of these oil pipelines. Again, anyone see this headline? Well, the Russian army invades Ukraine. Putin has already quietly taken over another European country. Did you realize this? That last week, Russian forces poured into Ukraine from three directions, from the east and the south. They entered from Russia itself. The the Russian claimed territory. But from the north, Russia came through Belarus. Russian troops and military hardware had been trickling into Belarus since January 17th. And they were called that they were due, they were there doing military drills, quote unquote. We're in Belarus just doing some military drills. By February, NATO officials estimated that Russian forces in the country of Belarus had numbered 30,000. And some NATO officials are warning that the troops may never leave. Before the invasion, Putin claimed that Russian forces were there just conducting military drills. And I want you to pay attention to that. I want you to remember that. Oh, we're going to send some troops over to Belarus to do some military drills over there. The experts are saying, though, that Putin is occupying more and more areas of Eastern Europe. And the more he's successful, the more his power grows. But here's another question. What if Russia is not successful? What if they fail in taking over Ukraine? What if they keep getting pushed back? 
Does he use a nuclear weapon? Now know this, in nuclear war, no one wins. It's just devastation for everybody. But is he that crazy to do that? Here's another scenario, though. Let's say that they're not successful in Ukraine. They get pushed back. It's a big black eye. Doesn't look like it's going to be that way, but, but let's just say, you know, there's a big black eye that happens to them, to Russia. Could Russia, in desperation, then move on Israel and invoke this coalition of nations in order to try to regain power? I think that that is a real possibility. But some people are saying that What's happening in Ukraine right now is merely a dress rehearsal for this Ezekiel chapter 38 scenario where this coalition of nations will come against Israel because Israel is always on Russia's mind. So let's talk about now, what are the prophetic potential, that's the key word, what are the potential prophetic implications of Russia invading Ukraine For Israel, well, here's something not a lot of people are talking about right now. I don't know if you paid attention to this, but there are right now in Israel, should be off the coast of Syria right now, 16 to 18 Russian warships. 423 miles away from Israel. And what's interesting is the fastest fighter jet still in service today is the Soviet-built MiG-25. It can fly, this blew my mind when I read this, it can fly at a top speed of 3,017 miles per hour. You know what that means? It can go 423 miles in a matter of seconds. In a matter of minutes, I should say. Now, I want you to think about this. Here are these warships, and a lot of them have these planes on them, 423 miles away from Israel's border. They could be there in a matter of minutes. I want you to think about how would you feel if there were 16 Russian warships off the coast of Santa Cruz, which is about 400 miles from here. And you knew they had fighter jets and missiles that could bomb Oceanside in a matter of minutes. How would you feel? That's how people in Israel live on a daily basis. And did you know that Russian Navy and Iranian uh, Iranian Revolutionary Guard Navy have recently been conducting joint military exercises in the Mediterranean, right near Israel? What was Russia doing before it invaded Ukraine and Belarus? Military drills. What are they doing right now off the coast of the Mediterranean? You know, they're they're 423 miles away from Israel. Military drills. Navy drills. It's interesting. Russia for years has been supplying Iran with armed forces, and weapons, and rockets, and military training. Why? Because Russia has had its eye on that part of the world for a very, very long time. Did you see this? Russia denounced Israel's sovereignty 
over the Golan Heights at a meeting of the UN Security Council on Wednesday, get this, hours before it launched its invasion into Ukraine. That kind of blows my mind. We're getting ready for this major invasion into another country, but we're thinking about Israel. We're denouncing their sovereignty over the Golan Heights. This was another interesting headline this week in the Jerusalem Journal. What Israel must learn from the Ukraine war. This was the synopsis. Israelis recognize that no outside power, not even the U.S., can be relied upon to guarantee survival in the face of a powerful threat. That's what's on the minds of the people in Israel. Now, here's what's interesting about that. I want you to skip down to verse 13 and notice what it says. It says, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold and and take away livestock and goods and take plunder? This is what it's saying. In in this invasion of of Russia and these other nations coming into Israel, the other nations of the world are saying, hey, what are you guys doing? Are you guys coming in here to take booty and to take spoil? My friend Brett Metter, he calls this protesting bystanders. That's what they're doing. They're bystanders that are protesting. You shouldn't be doing that. Sheba is Yemen. Dedan is Saudi Arabia. Tarshish is Great Britain. And it mentions their young lions, the young lions of Tarshish, those, that could be, that means those who have come out of Tarsus, out of Great Britain. So that could be a reference to Australia, or it could also be a reference to the United States. Some people believe that. All of them, though, look what they're doing. They're protesting. They're not getting involved. What are the nations of the world doing right now? As they're watching... Russia invade Ukraine. They're protesting. They've given these long lists of sanctions that are meant to destroy or weaken the Russian economy. It was said that leading into this war, that Putin, he had amassed a $360 billion war chest. And they say that Right now, he can't touch that. Now, we don't know if that's true or not. But that's what they're saying. That's what they are reporting. The nations of the world are watching Ukraine get invaded and decimated, and no one is doing anything. Why? Because Russia has nukes. And they're afraid. They're scared. No one trusts Putin. So they say, we'll issue these tough sanctions. Did you hear President Biden last week? We're going to issue these tough sanctions. And then we'll come back in a month and see how effective that they've been. Ukraine might not be around in a month. Most people think this is going to take longer, but you don't know. I mean, they could be severely weakened in a month. Sanctions, it's a mute point. But there's companies here in the United States saying, 
We're not going to buy Russian vodka. I think the Russians are going, great, more for us, you know? (laughs) Issuing these sanctions. Now, it is true that the Russian people are being hurt by this, and I think most of them are completely against this. But here's the question. Are these sanctions doing anything to detour Putin in his goals? I don't think so. Not at all. Of all the sanctions, though, I found this one to be the most fascinating, that the Russian badminton team has been banned from international competition. (laughs) I wonder... (laughs) I think Putin's probably glad about that, you know. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would like badminton at all. (laughs) But here's the question. I want you to think about this. What do bullies do when no one steps in? They hassle more kids. They get more emboldened. I'm going to take your lunch money. No one stops them. Now I'm going to take your lunch money. That's how bullies act. A victory in Ukraine would embolden Russia to take more territory and possibly set their aim at Israel, which is very much on their radar. Now, here's another question. Could Ezekiel chapter 38 happen before the rapture of the church? Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with that term, the rapture of the church. In January, we spent our whole prophecy update talking about the rapture, what it is, and why I personally believe, and a lot of other Bible teachers, very, very strong, sound Bible teachers, that the rapture of the church will happen before the Great Tribulation begins. But the question is this, and the rapture of the church, just to kind of summarize it, it's Talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it talks about when Jesus comes, not to this earth, but to the clouds. And there's a shout and a trumpet blast. And believers in Jesus Christ are caught up to meet Jesus in the air. And we go to heaven. And we're with Jesus there in heaven until he comes back at his second coming. I know that sounds kind of sci-fi, but it is what the Bible talks about that is going to happen. It's the hope that we have. Paul said, comfort one another with these words. The question is, could this happen before Ezekiel 38? Well, I want you to remember, this alliance of nations led by Russia and Iran launched this invasion on Israel, but they're destroyed. Now, that's significant. You see, in order for the Antichrist to come into power, I think there are three groups of people who if he tried to come in power today, would oppose him. That they would oppose him seeking to set up a one-world government and would definitely oppose him trying to seek up, seek, or, or set up a one-world religion. If he was trying to set up a one-world religion, who would be the biggest opposers of that today? One would be us, the Christians. You know who the other would be? Islam. Because both Christianity and Islam are exclusive. 
We say, hey, there's only one way because there's only one guy, Jesus, who died on the cross and rose again from the dead. Jesus fulfilled 300 prophecies leading to His first coming that involved and included His death and His resurrection. He fulfilled all of those to the T. We say, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So He is either the only way or He's a liar and a lunatic. His resurrection, though, reveals to us that He's exactly who He said He was. But Islam is also the only exclusive nation that they think they're the only ones. You don't see a lot of Muslims driving around with coexist stickers on the back of their cars. (laughs) They're not into that. They don't believe that. Well, the rapture would take Christians out of the way. The Bible talks about... 2 Thessalonians, I think it's chapter 3, 2 or 3. I can't remember right now off the top of my head. It's my fourth message today. (laughs) But it talks about those who would, would restrain him. That's us, the church, I believe. So the rapture would take Christians out of the way, Ezekiel chapter 38. This battle and invasion and the, all of these Muslim nations being radically destroyed by God, that would take Islam out of the way. I think that the rest of the people who believed in Islam, it would be a huge wake-up call to them. When all of these leading nations and leading Islamic leaders are suddenly destroyed by God. What about the one world government? Russia today would never... Russia has never been one to want to unite. They're not part of NATO or the EU, and they don't want their neighbors to be either. Well, Ezekiel chapter 38 would take care of Russia. And I think this would really open up the door for the Antichrist to come into power. So for all of those reasons, I I believe that Ezekiel chapter 38 could happen before the rapture takes place. I think it probably won't. I think it's probably going to happen shortly, very shortly, after the rapture and before the Antichrist comes into power. So that leads me to the next thing that I want to discuss tonight. What would be the potential prophetic implication of Russia's invasion on Ukraine have for the world? Well, what did we see during COVID? We saw the world unite like never before. All the nations of the world got on the same page as it related to COVID. Shut down their countries. Everybody was reading the same playbook, basically, and followed suit, some a little more than others. What are we seeing right now? Once again, the world uniting again. This great unification, this great uproar. It's only protesting, but, but everybody up, you know, and together, almost the entire planet, if you would, against Russia for their invasion of Ukraine. EU's foreign policy chief, Yosef Burrell, was quoted, um, <clears throat> was saying this week, with this war on Ukraine, the world will never be the same again. Saying this is significant. 
He continued, it's now more than ever the time for societies and alliances to come together to build our future on trust, justice, and freedom. It is the moment to stand up and to get this, speak out. Might does not make right, never did and never will, he said. The nations of the world are working together and uniting together like never before in modern history. First we had COVID and now we have this. And I think all of this could be what we call fire drills, that when the greatest catastrophe that ever happens on planet Earth occurs. What's the greatest catastrophe? The rapture. The rapture? Why why would you say that? You see, we as Christians have a tendency to only consider the rapture for what it means to us. We're going to heaven. But for the rest of the world, it's going to be horrific, guys. I want you to think about this. Consider the numbers of the population of the world today is 7.7 billion people. Of that 7.7 billion, 2.3 billion identify as Christians. That's almost 30% of the world's population identifies as Christians. Now, that's huge. Now, I believe that that's po- that number's probably too high. I don't think there's 2.3 billion people who are really, truly following Jesus. If there were, I think the world would be a much different place, Okay. So let's just be conservative, we'll be ultra-conservative, and let's cut that number in half. Let's say there's only actually 1.2 million or billion people that are actually Christians in the world. That would make 16% of the earth's population. So suddenly the rapture happens, get this, and 16% of the earth's population is suddenly just gone. Their houses are vacant, their cars are vacant, their businesses are vacant. That would create incredible chaos. The world will be in massive upheaval. Now consider this. According to the CDC and other World Health Organizations, they estimate that about 3.4 of the population of planet Earth died in the last 22 months because of COVID. Now, I don't want to get into, you know, the argument of all the false reporting, you know, where this was called COVID and that was called, you know, I know that happened, but, but I don't even want to get into that. Let's just use that number that they say 3.4% of the earth's population died. Let's just go with that number. Well, if there are only 1.2 true Christians in the world, the rapture takes out, get this, Four times the amount of people who died of COVID. Four times, and it takes them out in an instant. We're gone. In an instant. Not over a period of two years, but instantly gone. If there are really 2.3 billion Christians, that number jumps to 10 times the amount of people who died of COVID. Again, as Christians, we get excited about the rapture, but we often forget about the devastation that this event event is going to have upon planet Earth. And I think that should motivate us to want to share the gospel and reach out to people that don't know Jesus. Now, what happens during a riot? We've seen riots. 
here in our country. And when there's a riot, there's mass chaos. There's rioting, there's looting. People tend to take advantage of the defenseless. After the rapture, it's going to provide an opportunity for bullies that are Putin-esque to rise to the scene, to try and take advantage of the mess and the chaos. However, it is also going to provide this opportunity for this leader that the Bible describes as the Antichrist to come on the scene and bring everybody together. But we have been in this time in the last two years where like never before, the world is singing Kumbaya. Let's all just agree. Let's all band together. And this is going to be a big opportunity for this one to come on the scene. And we've seen a lot of this happening now. The nations of the world coming against Russia with sanctions for what they're doing to Ukraine. And and I, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I applaud NATO and the UN and the EU for coming down on Russia. I wish they would do more than just issue threats and sanctions. But things are coming together for a time when the Antichrist pulls everyone together, but he has false motives in doing this. Because he will end up being the worst dictator that this world has ever seen. He will come on the scene subtly at first, And this is one of the reasons why in maybe our next prophecy, we're going to talk about how socialism and this move towards socialism plays into Bible prophecy. So what is the potential prophetic implication does Russia's invasion of Ukraine have on the world in Europe? Well, it's another move in the direction we're seeing it right now toward globalism. What about America? What potential prophetic implications does Russia's invasion of Ukraine have on America? Well, one of the biggest mysteries for any student of the Bible and Bible prophecy is this. Why does America seem to be absent from the end time scenario? America is not mentioned in end times Bible prophecy. And even in the obscure passages, like I just mentioned to you, that, that may be put to, you know, point to America we're insignificant. We're insignificant in the end times picture. But right now, we are a superpower in the world. So that can only mean that something has to happen to weaken us. Now, what is that thing that's going to happen? Well, I've always believed that it would be the rapture. That when the rapture happens here, it is going to severely weaken our country. America's population right now is 329 million people. And there are 230 to 250 million people who identify as Christians in this country. Again, that number is probably way too high because if there were that many Christians, I think America would be a much different place than it is right now. But again, let's cut that number in half. 125 million people that claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, that's about 35% of our population. Now think about that. At the rapture, 35% of our population vanishes. 
That would be nuts. That would be crazy. That's going to cause our nation to go into great chaos and upheaval and a time where I think we are going to have to just zero in and focus on ourselves like never before. But maybe it's not the rapture. Could it be that we just become weakened economically? If Russia wins and ceases control and they gain control of more oil pipelines and resources... I mean, we're already seeing gas go up. Some places right now, it's almost $6 a gallon. I was at Costco, I think, yesterday, and it was like four seventy one. I had to like do a double check. I like leaned in close, like, is it really that much at Costco? I mean, come on. It's crazy. Rising gas prices, rising food prices. Could we be in for an economic decline? I think so. It's interesting. Biden could fix all this if he would just open up the Keystone Pipeline again. But, but we're seeing the rising cost of gas and food, and we're headed towards some form, most people believe, of inflation. It's like the way we're living right now, you go, this is just not sustainable over the long haul. Housing prices that are just outrageous. So we are headed for potential economic collapse. That could be the thing that weakens us. Or could it just be a moral collapse? Could America collapse internally the same way that Rome did? If you've been following, if you followed all Roman history... Rome was the biggest power in the world, and they fell apart internally. They collapsed from within. Could that be what we're witnessing right now in America, in the moral decay that we see in this country? The lawlessness that we see in this country? The, what do they call it, grab and smash and grab? I was talking to a police officer, a friend of mine, he said that, that if they're taking anything that's under $1,000, they're not even going to prosecute them. How crazy is that? It's just nuts. Lawlessness. Which again, is another one of the things that the Bible says would happen in the last days, that lawlessness would abound. We're seeing that here in our country. America is unraveling at the scene. And our own problems could cause us to become very, very self-focused. Almost tone-deaf to the rest of the world. And I think in many ways we, we already are. In fact, did you hear when, when Russia started to invade Ukraine, John Kerry's remarks about the invasion, did you see that? He was worried that the, the Russia's invasion of Ukraine would distract people from climate change. How tone-deaf can you be? There's a war going on and you're going, oh no, people are going to stop thinking about climate change. Sad. Another possibility, and I hate to think about this one, the thing that could weaken America is that we get nuked. We got a lot of enemies that have nuclear bombs. Again, though, no one wins in that. So, 
That's the potential. Potential is the key word of this invasion of Russia into Ukraine as it continues that it could have on all of us. Last one, very quickly. What is the potential prophetic implications does Russia's invasion of Ukraine have for the church? Well, a 300-year-old prophecy from an 18th century Jewish rabbi, Rabbi Vilna Gahan, I think is how you say his name, he said this. Over 300 years ago, in 18th century, when you see Russia invade Ukraine, know this, the Messiah is coming. (laughs) Pretty crazy to think about. He says, when you see these things happening, (laughs) know this, when when Russia invades Ukraine, the Messiah is coming. So here's the thing. When we see these things happening, it reminds us that we are getting closer to the time when Jesus will come for his bride. So I want to end with this. What do we do? What do we do? Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. He says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools. Now the way you can put that is not as ignorant. Not as those who don't know what's going on. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Because the days are I want to read that to you again in the New Living Translation. It says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise, and make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. So what does that mean? How do we make the most of every opportunity? Jesus said that we, His bride, we the church, are to be salt and light in this world. He says, you're... To be a light. You're the light of the world. You're to shine. Not, don't hide your light. Shine. Be bold for Jesus. But then he said also that you are to, the salt of the earth. And in that culture, salt had several uses. It was used, for instance, like we use it to enhance the flavor of food. It was also used medicinally. They would put salt on wounds. It was used as a preserving element. They would pack meat in salt because they didn't have refrigeration. So salt had all of those uses in that culture in the day of Jesus. But here's the thing. The only way for salt to have that use is it had to permeate. It had to get out of the salt shaker and permeate the meat in order to enhance the flavor. And it had to permeate the wound in order to bring healing. And it had to permeate the meat and the fish in order to have that preserving element. And this is why I say that the true purpose of the study of Bible prophecy is not to create within us escapism, but activism. Because Jesus is calling us to be the salt of the earth. So that means that you and I need to be rubbing shoulders with people around us that don't know Jesus. That we need to get to know them. We need to build relationships with them. So that the salt of who Jesus is in us might have an effect on them. That we might be able to have an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. And right now, guys, we have incredible opportunities. All you got to do is say, Hey, what do you think of everything going on in the world right now? 
and everybody has an opinion. Everybody's like, man, it's crazy. I was talking to a guy at the gym the other day, and I, I told him, I said, you know, th- this, this is really interesting because it kind of sets the stage for what the Bible says happened in Ezekiel 38. And he's like, really? He said, Ezekiel 38? I, I need to go read that, you know. And people are interested. We have great opportunity right now to be salt, to rub shoulders with people who are non-believers. It's not a time for us to hang out in our Christian clubs. It's a time for us to be salt. And and that means get involved in a school board. Maybe if God's leading you, run for office. In fact, I want to put the name before you. I'm going to interview this guy on my podcast here in a week or so. Josiah O'Neill, remember that name. He's running for our district here. And uh, he's, a, he's a sheriff, former army ranger, and he is a radical born-again Christian. And uh, remember that name. It's important. So we need to do that. We need to vote. But most of all, we need to take every opportunity we have to share the life-changing message of Jesus. That's what it means for all of us here who are Christians, all of you watching online who are Christians. But what does this mean for if you're not a Christian today? Well, Jesus said, today is the day of salvation. And if you're sitting here tonight and you are not in a right place with God, maybe you've been just, maybe you've professed Christ, but you've walked away from him, you've been doing your own thing. Paul said this, hey, it's high time that you wake up from your sleep and understand the times that we are living in. And I want to say this. Jesus, he loves you. He wants you to be with him in eternity. He wants you to have a hope and not be filled with fear. But if you're here tonight and you're not in a right place with God, I want to encourage you tonight to surrender your heart to Jesus. But I don't want you to do it because of the things I've talked about tonight have made you afraid. I don't want to scare anybody into becoming a Christian. But if you're here tonight and everything I've been talking about, it's like this makes sense to you. And you're like, gosh, this really makes a lot of sense. I see how the pieces are coming together like like he's saying. And read the rest of Ezekiel 38 and all of 39 where you see God intervenes on Israel's behalf and takes out these nations. That's what's coming. But probably before that happens, Jesus is going to come for for His church. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we ready? If Jesus came tonight, are you ready? Are you ready to meet Him? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the promise of your word. We thank you for these prophecies that you've laid out that have come to pass already concerning Israel. The prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus in his first coming that would lead to his death and his resurrection. And all of these prophecies that have come to pass give us an assurance of these prophecies that have still yet to come to pass will happen. Maybe even in our lifetime. And so Lord, I pray first of all for all of my friends here 
all my brothers and sisters in Christ and everybody watching online that knows you, that, that Lord, these things would stir us up to be salt and light in our world, to be the ambassadors that you've called us to be. That we, Lord, would put our mind and hearts toward redeeming the time, making the most of the time. But Lord, I also pray for anybody here tonight that knows they're not right with you. Anybody here tonight who has maybe not really given their heart to you. They haven't embraced you, Jesus, as their, their Savior and their Lord. Or anybody here tonight that maybe has walked away from you and somebody invited them tonight and they're hearing this and, and you right now, you're stirring their hearts because you're calling them to follow you and to come in relationship with you. Lord, I pray tonight that you would give them the boldness to make a stand. With our head bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to ask right now, if you are here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus, and you realize that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, And tonight you want to make that decision to say, yes, I'm ready to follow Christ. Just a minute, I want to give you an opportunity to just acknowledge that by raising your hand. To say, yes, that's me. But I also want to ask, maybe you're here tonight and you, at some time in your life, you professed Christ. Maybe you went forward at a crusade or something like that. But then you walked away from Jesus. And you've been doing your own thing and you've been just kind of living in rebellion. And and tonight, you know, the Lord is calling you. You see, Jesus, he makes it simple. He just says, come to me. Believe in me. Cry out to me and you'll be saved. Come back to me and I will restore you if you are that prodigal who has walked away. If you're in either one of those two places tonight, you want to get your heart right with Jesus tonight. You don't want to leave this place tonight without knowing that you are in a right relationship with Jesus. I'd like you just to acknowledge that by raising your hand. And I just want to pray for you. God bless you. Anybody else? I would say, yeah, that's me. And again, I'm not saying, I want to make this clear. It's not like you had a bad week this week. Maybe you blew it a little bit. No, I'm talking about you've been living in rebellion or you just have never given your life to Jesus. And tonight you want to really become a follower of Christ. Put your faith in Him and follow Him. If that's you tonight, I just want you to lift your hand so I can pray for you. Anybody at all? Anybody else? Father, I pray for those tonight that raise their hand. I pray, God, that you would fill them, that you would strengthen them, and that, God, they would follow you with all of your heart, all of their heart. And again, Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. We thank you, Lord, for just the assurance that we have that that you are coming and that you are Lord, and that you are on the throne, and all this stuff that's going on in our world that can sound so crazy and serious. Lord, we know 
as believers of Jesus Christ, that our life is in your hands. And in that, Lord, we rejoice. And so, Lord, tonight, I pray that you would help us as your church to redeem the time. And we ask these things, and everyone said, Amen.